What do you do when you're facing challenges to remember that God is all there is? How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this. Welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. My name is Tracy Brown. Leslie will be joining us in just a minute. Every week on Say Yes to Spirit, we have a theme, and this week our theme is magic. And some of you might say magic. Wait, wait, wait. How do you have magic, and how do you have spirituality, and how do you have God, and how do you talk about all of that and use the word magic? It's not magic. So we um, will talk about that. What do we think about when we use the word magic or miracle or mystical? And um, especially in the context of coordinating our daily lives and making choices in how we show up. Um, And, you know, when things happen the way we desire for them to happen, is it magic or what else could it be? So... Every week our theme is uh, set in such a way that sometimes it's directly spiritual and sometimes it doesn't seem to be directly spiritual, but what we know is that all things that are true are spiritual in nature. So please feel free to dial in and during today's show. If you have a comment or a question, the dial-in number is area code 347 Eight five zero one five two three. That's area code three four seven eight five zero one five two three. And when you dial that number, it will give you instructions regarding um, how to raise your hand or let us know that you have a comment or a question. Otherwise, we'll think you're just dialing in to listen in because you are mobile and on the run. One of the things we absolutely um, love to do on Say Yes to Spirit is connect the dots with our most recent show. And um, and so whenever you hear this connect the dots music, know that it's time. And our most recent show was Surrender, and our theme today is magic. So, Leslie, how do we connect the dots between those two? <laughs> You know, the idea of magic came up when we were thinking about and talking about surrender and the idea of magical, quote-unquote, things happening when we surrender. And um, there was some uh, healthy thoughts about surrendering to spirit, surrendering to uh, spirit through skin in, in the human form, and um, how just kind of the concept of letting go of resistance equaling surrender and then magic happens and you know in a strange way my resisting is what keeps magic from happening if I'm resisting something you know we talked about what we resist persists and um, it's in that surrendering that magical things happen and I'm under the belief for the idea that you know miracles what we call miracles what we call magic are actually quite 
normal circumstance, you know, it's just, it's, our lives are sort of divinely designed to be magical and miraculous, and it's the resistance that keeps that. So um, hopefully in the conversation today looking at uh, magic, um, I'm thinking I'm going to come away more affirmed that magic is the norm if I let it be, if I can just get out of my own way. I am, I am blocking my own magic. There you go. That's my connecting that everything's connected in my mind that's why i love the idea of connect the dots but i love it for the moment i love it so we're going to take a one minute break uh please just uh get some tea or coffee some water stretch uh but come back and be with us one minute from now on say yes to spirit Welcome back. You're listening to Say Yes to Spirit with Tracy and Leslie. And our theme this week is magic. You know, Leslie, when you were talking um, before the break, one of the things that went through my mind was you made the comment about, you know, when you're in resistance, when I'm in resistance, we're blocking the miracles from happening. And what strikes me is we talk about all the time how the only word in the vocabulary of the universe is yes. And so when I am in resistance, the universe is sim- simply says yes. And, uh, you know, it's not it's not judging me. It's just saying yes to the fact that I don't really believe it can happen, right? Right. And so um, when I start saying yes, instead of resisting my own good, then the universe says yes to that, and guess what? It feels like it's magic. Yes, that's Magic. Right. Uh-huh. that movie, uh, Yes Man, or mm-hmm. Jim Carrey, when he started saying yes to everything that came around as an opportunity. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon, and you know, the old bracelets that people used to wait, you know, what would Jesus do, what would love do? the idea of looking at what would really happen if I, you know, really kind of lived that moment-to-moment experience, saying yes or not being in resistance, seeing what's present and not resisting the moment. It's it's interesting. I've heard on my favorite Oprah-isms, one of my... (laughs) 
Lisa didn't say Eckhart Tolle. She gets really reactive when I say that. But, um, you know, one of her uh, concepts, she talks a lot about, you know, being in acceptance of what is, that only through accepting what is is there's really sort of motivation or ability to change the what is. And so in a strange way, acceptance takes me out of resistance, and then I have motivation to change. Sometimes I'm fighting so hard for the thing that I want in my mind that I'm not accepting what is. So it's like I'm trying to skip a step in a mm-hmm. way. And I and I kind of have to go through the process of acceptance before I can really get into sort of um, reasonable action. Yeah, and, and, and so, yeah, when we talked about surrender, that whole thing of surrendering to what is, you know, is is big. It's like we know that intellectually, but it's not always easy to do, even though we know that's <laughs> like a good path, right? And um and and that surrender to what is and that acceptance of what is actually happening does not necessarily mean we agree with it. Or right. even that we like it, mm-hmm. or we condone it, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And in a strange way, if I if I if I have something going on that seems unacceptable to me, if I'm always fighting the thing that's un- unacceptable to me, I'm I'm giving that thing more power, and through the acceptance of it, I sort of give myself the ability to then take action, um, trying to fight it sort of somehow perpetuates it, it seems. Well, yeah, because any time you push, you get pushed back. So the fact that I'm fighting it makes it stronger because it has to, it must be big enough, mm-hmm. right? It must be big enough, more, more difficult, most difficult to, to deserve that much attention mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for me. So, you know, there's that old saying that's been around for Decades, if not centuries, um, don't tell your don't tell your God, little God, about your big problems. <laughs> tell your, you know, little problems. Daddy about God your about your, <laughs> you know, but standing in that place mm-hmm. of, I see this is happening, and I am part of a. Um, uh, I am a part of a universe mm-hmm. that is run by an energy and a power and an infinite intelligence and wisdom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this looks big to me, or this looks like a problem to me, but, it, you know, it's nothing in the mind of God. You know, it's interesting, you know, working with women in the jail, you know, that's a huge thing to kind of accept that I'm in jail. Mm-hmm. And that you know the the millions of little integral um, things that the women in jail seem to naturally do to try to you know explain or make sense of or um, uh, sort of uh, in their mind not have to be sort of quote, quote unquote responsible for what happened that got them there. Right. Um, there is uh, I've seen it thousands of times. There's something sort of mystical and magical that happens when they get into acceptance. Okay, I am here. This is happening. And only through accepting that can I, you know, get into a state of mind that then I can become 
I can have the energy then to go forward in a way that, that allows my friends on the outside to help me or, you know, opens up a conduit for my public defender to be able to actually, you know, show up you know, again as I'm resisting the 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 fact that I'm in jail, that I've been arrested for something that may or may not have, you know, quote-unquote literally done, um, it, it just keeps me more in that anxiety state. And I think if I'm, you know, once I accept, then I can get out of that anxiety state and get into action. I know in my life, you know, things that I think are just too big that I'm so anxious about, if I just accept them on their own value on their own terms they they get less big in some way they become more manageable right because there are two different very different questions one question is how did this happen and or being in denial you know i'm upset about this i'm not gonna it's like that's one energetic the completely different energetics for example the women in the jail to say, okay, this isn't quite how I imagined my life would be. <laughs> right, right, right. I did not really, I would not prefer to be here, but I am here. Now what am I going to do? I am in jail, so how am I going to relate to my family? I am in jail, so what am I going to do to uh, work on my defense. Mm-hmm. I am in jail, and I'm guilty. Mm-hmm. And so how am I going to choose mm-hmm. to complete the sentence, whether it's locally or in prison? It's like I am in jail. So, okay, I, it, this is a fact, mm-hmm. and I can rail against it. Mm-hmm. I can be in denial. Mm-hmm. I can pretend. I can use all my energy to not face that fact. Or I can face the fact and say, now what mm-hmm. do I choose? And that and the magic starts happening because I'm focused on what I want, yes. not what I don't want. Right. I'm focused on what I can do, not what somebody else did to me, right. put me in jail, and now I'm a victim. So it goes back to the to the four kingdoms of consciousness model that you love so much. I love so much. That, you know, I can be a victim and and it's somebody a blame mm-hmm. or find fault with something or someone else. Or I can move in kingdom one or I can move up to kingdom two and go, okay, what options do I have and of those options what do I choose? And you're always good to point out in a way, you know, the women in jail, it's a real obvious kind of, okay, this is out of my control, but that we all have these things in our lives that are jail-like, you know, whether it be a job or a relationship or a circumstance that we are so sort of imprisoned by and, and as you said, railing against and feeling, you know, working up all of our um, sort of... uh, you know, defense mechanisms or justifications or, you know, making up our reasoning why this has happened to me, why I'm in jail, and it's not my fault, and my God, don't these people understand that I wasn't really doing that kind of thing. And But instead of just sort of laying back and saying, oh, this is, this is where I am, and that does open up that magic that does put me back in that sort of jet stream. 
Well, you know, what was going through my mind just now is, and, and yes, I agree with you, I do often say they have the physical condition of being in a building called a jail. <laughs> yes. And all of us create our own jails from our right. emotional and mental dysfunction. <laughs> right. Right at me when you said that, Tracy. That's right. We all do have our emotional yeah, and mental dysfunction. Me. Oh, okay, good. Very good. I'm so pleased. And so, um, you know, it's just really interesting. So the, you know, there are other kinds of physical challenges as well that feel the same way mm-hmm. as someone would feel if they were locked up in jail. So the the example that went through my mind was someone who um, has just come from the doctor and has a diagnosis of stage 4 cancer or multiple sclerosis <coughs> or some Mm-hmm. some diagnosis, mm-hmm. and, you know, we go through that initial reaction of, no, that can't be me, or no, that, you know, why, I, who was I talking to? Oh, I was um, not actually talking to Etika Luckett, but she was sharing a, a few weeks ago, um, as she, she and Lisa Ferraro were facilitating a retreat, and um, and she was sharing a part of her experience when she was diagnosed with cancer mm. and a very advanced um, form of cancer and a pretty rare form of cancer. And she was saying, you know, of course her initial reaction was complete shock and confusion because for decades she ate whole foods and, mm. you know, I was either a vegetarian or a vegan or, you know, and she exercised every day. She, you know, was a yoga master. And you know, she had lived her entire adult life for, you know, decades doing all the quote-unquote right <laughs> Healthy things, things. All yeah. the things to honor her body temple and to, you know, be healthy and, you know, she goes to the hospital and there's this tumor and the biopsies and the blood tests are like, you know, at one point the doctors gave her three days to live. Oh, my goodness. Like, you know, get your affairs in order. You at On the good side, you've mm. got three days. And that was two years or three years ago, but, mm. you know, it was that shock, so you surrender mm-hmm. to what is, mm-hmm. and now it's three years later, and it's like magic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened, the magic, the magic of, um, of I'm still alive when the doctor said that wasn't even possible, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And had she stayed in that, you know, I think the idea that somebody tells you you have three days to live, <laughs> you clean out a lot of stuff, like, mm. really. But she was clear mm-hmm. that this is her time, this is her time, and she was also completely willing to do whatever she had to do standing at that crossroad mm-hmm. to remove whatever was reflecting in this physical thing called cancer. 
So and so she stood in that place of, you know, acceptance of acceptance that this is what it is, and I have a faith, not that I'm going to be, you know, healed by some magic, although it feels like magic, but that I am willing to do to make choices right now based on where I'm standing. And making that choice, making a choice now, making another choice three hours from now, making a choice 24 hours from now, based on what is right now, and it's a, it, yeah. resulted in the magic of her, you know, six months later being, you know, be stabilizing and a year later being cancer-free. Wow. Wow, she's cancer-free, that's... So that's her. Choice. Well, and she's had, you know, checkups, a couple of them, you know, because you check every year. Yeah. The doctors, if we were to rely on the doctors, they say you're not, quote, unquote, cured unless you go five years uh, cancer-free. But she knows she's cured because mm-hmm. what came up was, you know, what she needed to address to not be in that particular prison mm-hmm. called cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, the word denial kept coming to mind. You know, I think a lot of times when we have something that kind of knocks us off of our feet, we have that choice of either going in denial or going into acceptance. Right. And the um, old saying in 12-step, you know, we're as sick as our secrets. Right. There was a woman in uh, one of the groups this last week in the jail who started talking about her 28-year-old daughter who has cerebral palsy. Uh-huh. And she was born with cerebral palsy, and um, when she was uh, first diagnosed when she was 8 or 9 or 10, the doctors, and I don't even know how you do this or why you say this, but in, in, in any rate, they gave her the quote-unquote diagnosis and then said she'll live to be 28. I don't know how they came up with that number. It seems so arbitrary. But her daughter is turning 28 this year, and so in her mind, you know, this is the last year that she'll have with her daughter. Wow. And she started talking about her daughter's 24-hour care, has to have diapers, is never, you know, doesn't really have her mind. And for the first time, she started saying out loud feelings of, you know, sort of feeling like, why me, God? Why did I have this daughter? Or, you know, this has been a burden. Some of this care has really taken away my life. And I love her, so I can't have these thoughts. God forbid the thought, if she does die, that might even be somewhat of a relief, even though I don't want her to die. Mm-hmm. And so she started verbalizing some of these things that she never said out loud. For 28 years, she just felt like she had to say, you know, I just love her so much, and she's my little angel, and she could never give voice to this other very human, very reasonable kind of, you know, I love her and this is hard on me and I'm scared I did something wrong that caused her to, you know, be born this way. And so she started tumbling out all of these things that she said that she'd never spoken before. And she was very emotional and and it took a, you know, it took her down a very dramatic kind of trail for 20 or 30 minutes and she was really sort of in that process of saying these things she never said out loud and kind of beating herself up for saying them but then sort of you know I would say this is you know good keep going and so when she got through it you could really see a different light in her I could see a different in her face and the next 
I guess the second morning after that, she came up to me and she had written, she also has a 13-year-old daughter, and she had written the 13-year-old daughter this letter that, uh, that just replayed what had happened in class. And she said to her 13-year-old daughter, I wonder if you've ever had some of these feelings, wondering if, you know, having Sally Sue as a, a sister hasn't somewhat been a burden. I know you love Sally Sue, and I know that you would do anything for Sally Sue, but has there been a part, or sometimes since you had these other feelings that Mommy started talking about last night, and I want you to know if you did, that it's completely normal and that it's okay and that you can talk to Mommy about them. And as I was reading that letter, I realized she was giving her little 13-year-old daughter permission to be in acceptance of everything that she might be feeling, right? which would then give her sort of a freedom and she expressed that that morning that I was reading the letter, she said, you know, I just have such a peace with everything. She said, I've never had like an internal, I've always had sort of this little separation or this little angst because she'd been resisting, feeling like it wasn't okay to have these not loving in her mind thoughts. So she was, they became so big because she was so scared to say them and she, she thought she'd be such a horrible person if she ever expressed them. But when she finally did, it was like this huge, huge weight. Yeah, because isn't that true that sometimes we don't recognize, it's like, it's, it's, it's the whole circle. So we think if we say something negative, that has more power than the love. Yeah. And, and, we, and that's crazy, right? There is no power greater than love. Mm-hmm. And actually expressing the pain is, it's like expressing it, acknowledging it, is really opening the door to more love instead of that getting calcified or hardened Mm -hmm. or hidden. Hidden, yes. Hardened or hidden. There's something there. There's something there. Um, but hardened and hidden means that space is now not available to oh, the love. Yeah. That's right. That's right. To the love who, that we are, or the love that we mm-hmm. could take in, or the mm-hmm. love we could give. Mm-hmm. So, isn't that interesting? It's the hiding that causes the hardening, and it's the hardening that keeps love out of that space that then just weighs us down. I mean, just the word itself, hardening, that's heavy, that's heavy. That's So, and that heaviness and that being weighed down actually sort of cements us into this stationary spot that keeps us out of action because we can't really take positive action because we're so heavy with the secrets or so heavy with the unspoken. And in that heaviness, we can't move into any kind of action that would, you know, open up the, the jet the stream of life. Floodgates mm-hmm. to the magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we actually are blocking. No kidding. Our, our own good. Right. We're blocking our own good. We're blocking our own miracles. We're blocking ourselves from the magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't like the fact that I'm responsible, <laughs> right? Yeah. That now I am once again responsible mm-hmm. for maybe not the 
detailed specifics of my beingness, but the general specifics mm-hmm. of what happens in my life. Mm-hmm. Darn and, it. Yeah. <laughs> the good news is I'm responsible. The good, bad news is I'm responsible. Because therein lies, you know, the ability of, I have to get out of it. You know, as long as I'm in that stage one or victim, you know, somebody else is in control of my peace of mind. And when I get out of that and, and start getting back into the natural flow, you know, I can allow the help that's just, you know, always available, readily available, that I can allow it to be activated. Yes. And that's, I think, I guess, the curious thing that I'm always thinking about, that, you know, spirit, God, the divine, is always kind of pushing good into me or pushing me toward my next highest good. And whatever my little fears, I was going to say petty fears, but my fears aren't petty. They're really real and they're scary and they're frightening and they're slightly overwhelming. But, um, you know, that I let that stop all of this good from coming. And And she said something I thought also that was very interesting after she kind of got through some of the cathartic real emotion of it. She said, I don't know who I would be if I wasn't this person in this sort of angst, if I didn't have this sort of duality of, of loving this child with such you know, deep, unconditional love and understanding she's my angel, and in this sort of rub of feeling, why me, and am I being punished, and you know, what else I could have done with my life if I hadn't had to give her 24-hour care, that that kind of angst or that rub had identified her for 28 years. And she said she said suddenly that all this is out. I don't know what I'll do. What, yeah. You know, what will happen now? I am. Yeah. I, my, I, that's such a, huge, such a huge part of my identity, identity yes. mm-hmm. is tied up mm-hmm. in that story mm-hmm. that yeah it's like well now what mm-hmm. so now I get to choose mm-hmm. now I actually mm-hmm. get to choose do I live in a friendly universe or not mm-hmm. do I really believe that God is on my side right. do I really believe that um, it's possible to live a life of faith and to create a life I love do I really believe that mm-hmm. or are those just nice words Mm -hmm. that I say, a cliche Mm -hmm. that I know that makes me feel better for the moment, but I don't really, really believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about a, um, what just came to mind was a woman who was a client a couple years ago, and uh, um, for about six months, I would meet with her once or twice a month, not every week, but once or twice a month. And just kind of do a touch base and and really, you know, kind of be a cheerleader and a reminder mm-hmm. of here's what you say you want and what are you willing to do that moves you in that direction. And after about six months, I heard the words come out of my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> Uh, and I, if I had thought about it more and hadn't been kind of in a meditative, really deep in state where my intuition just had kind of control, I might not have said it, but it was the perfect thing to say. But I heard come out of my mouth, do you really believe you can have mm-hmm. this, sure. you know, this being what she said she wanted? And she basically 
stopped and said, no, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, so you've just been pretending because it, <clears throat> you thought that's what I wanted you to say, that you believed it. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, no, I thought I believed it, but I really realized I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe it's possible for me. I believe it's possible for other people. Of course, yes. But I don't believe it's possible for me, and I really don't believe it's possible for me to live a life I love. So it's not even just this one, you know, these one or two things that I'm focused on, Mm -hmm. but I really believe even if I did get those one or two things showing up in my life, then something else would go wrong. I was like, really? Okay, so we need to work on the belief, mm-hmm. not on mm-hmm. the way it looks or these one or two things. We need to create a new belief <coughs> because you're going to get whatever you believe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. One of the, the when the women come into the jail, the first thing they go through is this sort of we call it core intensive. It's the first week of um, classes to try to kind of just imprint core concepts into them if we only have them there a week since it's a county facility you never know how long the women will be in the jail mm-hmm. so the very first class that I do with them we do this exercise where I have them look at what were the false beliefs that they grew up with uh-huh. when they were little itty bitty what were they taught that they now look at and can say oh that's probably not true but as a small child, they didn't have the capacity to say this isn't true, so they would have no alternative but to embrace it. And, you know, so some of the natural things, you know, that I'm not lovable or that my brother was loved more or that, you know, I'm a B student and I'll never be an A student and only A students are worthy. Um, what, What are the core sort of false beliefs that I was raised and really look at that really write them down and um you know uh understand them and look at them and then the next thing we do is say okay if someone really believes that how would they act well if i don't think i'm worthy if i don't think i'm lovable if i don't you know if all if i'm being sexually abused so i think all i'm good for is sex if I really believe that, which we have to have the hypothesis that as a small child you wouldn't have any choice, right? So you're fully believing it. So then you start to act in ways that reinforce that belief. So you start to, what? Use drugs. You start to get in unhealthy relationships. You start to skip school. You start to act out. And so then you start to commit crimes and you end up in jail and then suddenly You've acted in so many ways that all you focus on or all we tend to focus on in, in, in our society is, is then you've become this person that is unlovable and un, you know, unaccepted and all of these kinds of things. So then your behavior all is, a match. Is, is a match. And then sadly I think what we normally do is just look at their behavior and try to you know, either A, punish or either try to then be, if we're more aligned with spirit, try to look at this behavior. How can I change this? How can I work on, you know, creating different behaviors? But what I'm understanding now is that we've left out a a lot of times this sort of core trauma. We're not going back to these core beliefs to unroot them 
and heal them and feel what would it be like to be, you know, seven years old and have your parents be heroin addicts and, you know, they're not putting dinner on the table because they're so into their own addiction. Or to be, you know, eight years old and your daddy's working three jobs so that you can't have food, and but he's never there. And so all you want is, you know, five minutes with daddy and you never see him. So you have this interpretation that, you know, daddy doesn't love you, even though, you know, now Every looking back, doing, yeah. Right. When you're a little kid, you don't have that knowledge or that reflection. So how do I go back and heal those those little tiny false beliefs that I had? Not little tiny false beliefs, but when I was little tiny, these huge false beliefs that sort of are running my life. Exactly. And until I go back and, and unearth them and feel them and feel the fear or feel the sadness or feel the confusion, um you know, I'm sort of in this loop of adult behavior. And once I can take the time to unearth and go back and um, really embrace the healing of those that, that experience that my little child within had, then I can become sort of freed to move out of behavior that reinforces those false beliefs. And I think somehow, even for me, I get caught in this trying to deal with what's happening here and now, and I get lost that there's a thread that goes back to then and there. And it's then and there that's really managing my here and now until I have the courage to go back and look at then and there and heal that and kind of unroot it at its core. That was a lot of talking. But I think if you stayed with it, it had well, meaning. Well, yeah, so here's an example. <laughs> so my... Um, the um in fact there's a perfect example example for today. Today um would be my dad's birthday if he were still alive hmm. and you may have to- heard me tell the story about how when he was a very young boy the family basically had to get out of town with a couple hours, a few hours notice because um his dad and and the boys um, were going to be lynched. Oh my God! And uh, uh, the secrecy mm. and the confusion. Mm-hmm. If you think about being a young child, just mm-hmm. like you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, you you still. You make up a story that's a mix of what people say and what they don't say, Mm -hmm. right? And so my dad ended up being from a family where there were 11 children, 10 boys and one girl. Oh, my God. At the time that this happened, I believe there were four boys. And because uh, the girl came along way, way, way down in the, in they the kept trying. They yeah, wanted that girl. Was child ten, and That's there was great. there was only one boy, one boy in the family that was younger than mm. her. So, um, but you know, I I shared this story when I was talking about uh, what gets in the way of our miracles mm. a few weeks ago, and the you know for decades. You know, these boys had this story about not being good enough, about needing to be quiet. Mm. The reason that they were going to be lynched or the reason the family had to move so rapidly was because his mother, my grandmother, had said or done something when she was in town that morning Mm. 
that, you know, someone perceived as a black woman getting out of her place and they needed to teach that family a lesson and and the community a lesson. And um, and so, you know, my guess is my grandparents didn't actually tell the boys We're what happened kill. at that moment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I, I, my guess is mm-hmm. that they probably didn't. Mm-hmm. I would say the older boys, even, even you know, at four, three or four, by that time they had seen someone will be lynched because this was in the, you know, this was in the teens and 20s, the 19-teens and the 19, early 1920s. So I'm sure that they knew there was such a thing as lynching but didn't necessarily know why, understand why, except white people kill black people if you make them mad or, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like you have that reality happening, but you have a child's mind. Right. So it's no surprise to me that all of the men in my dad's family, the brothers, all of the brothers, had heart disease or diabetes or high cholesterol and high blood pressure, complications Mm. related to Mm -hmm. those kind of chronic illnesses Mm -hmm. because they grew up with a story Mm -hmm. about it, Mm -hmm. about what that means or what they could or couldn't do or, you know, staying below the radar screen, holding in what they, you know, as they got older they may have heard what, you know, kind of parts and what happened, oh, well, we got, like, run out of town because my mother, you know, said the wrong thing, so I better not say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And and I believe it does, you know, get out of the way. Now, I will say, or get in the way, I will say that, you know, from this perspective of the magic happening, mm-hmm. I believe, in, even though I've never had this conversation directly with my dad, he was very different in the last 15 years, 15 to maybe 20 years of his life. Mm. And I think that what happened in his 40s, he had four heart attacks before they, in, in his 40s before the age of 50, this was before wow. open heart surgery. This was before quadruple bypass mm-hmm. surgery, all of that, because I was a little kid. And so, you know, I think because of some of those major health crises, he actually got to a point where he said, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know, I get, I'm get, i 50 or I'm 55, and, you know, I get to create mm-hmm. a life, that's reasonable for me. You know, I get to, to live differently. And and clearly he got the message, I have to take care of myself. You know, to have heart attacks in his mid-40s and to live to be 77 in a day and age where we didn't have the, where the, he didn't have the technology we have now. Um, he, you know, changed the way he ate. He remarried and had a, what appeared at least to be a healthy relationship, Mm -hmm. you know, with his second wife, with my stepmother. Um, All of stuff that did not, that was not how his life was in his 20s and 30s and early 40s. And that does bring up, because, you know, you just used the example of the young girl that you know or the person that you knew that you had eaten everything well and her, you know, had in theory done everything physically 
yet she still had this situation, physical illness, and he had physical illness. And what they both shifted, you know, my hunch is your dad did shift into a relationship that was loving. And so he emotionally started shifting as well as, you know, he started eating better. But my, how I believe is somehow that that emotional shift is what kind of heals the body physically and creates that sort of miracle. Like you're saying, there was no medical attention that he could have been given back then. So in theory, you know, it would be a miracle that his heart would, you know, sustain itself for another 30 years. So how to, you know, how to kind of wake up to here's what I'm actually believing and do whatever healing work needs to be done around that and um, let go of these false beliefs because I think what we do is many times, you know, we use our adult minds to look back on our childhood experience and say, well, of course my parents are doing the best they could. They were you know, having to work three jobs. Or, of course, you know, she was an addict, so there was no choice she had. She was living in her disease. But we forget that that the little child didn't doesn't have that adult mind. And the little child is still alive in us if yes. we don't approach it a certain way, where we really, yes. really not so much go back and reevaluate, but, yeah, really actually do that same conversation but with the little child. Yes, and giving that little child the freedom to be fearful and not, because we continually block the healing by saying, oh, that was so long ago, or oh, they didn't know any better, or oh, they did the best they could. What that is actually doing is just reinforcing the the dysfunction. Well, yeah, there's some sense, there's um, a certain layer, that sense of wrong-making. Mm-hmm. So they did the best they could, so you were wrong to So why am I still upset? Or, yeah, I've got right. it, yeah. Instead of saying, instead of really feeling the feeling, and absolutely that's, that would be the appropriate reaction for a four-year-old, mm-hmm. or that would be the, that is the appropriate reaction for a seven-year-old. Now, what needs to be said or done to build a bridge from the seven-year-old perception right. to the 57-year-old yes. understanding. Yes, yes, and allowing that healing. I just keep coming back to that word healing because it really is it's sort of a healing that has to occur and that then, you know, opens up the uh, new, it, it lets go of that hardening, you know, it releases whatever's been kept secretly sucked away within us it releases that, which then opens up the, the magic. That opens up the magic. The magic, the magic, back to the magic. And the fascinating thing to watch, you know, it is sort of, you know, it's a gift to be able to work with the women in the jail because there is that magic that happens, and I see it all the time when they really make that turn in terms of letting themselves, sort of giving themselves permission to um, be be present for themselves and, and giving themselves permission to say, okay, I, I can go back and I can say this out loud and I can express, you know, all of these fears that I've had or all of these anxieties that I've had and it's not my fault, quote-unquote, this 
you know, this experience that I grew up in was not my fault, and I've kind of carried it out and acted in ways that I'm accountable for now, but now I see them as sort of a natural outpicturing of these belief systems, and so suddenly it takes some some burden off of me to be able to say, okay, now I can heal these old belief patterns that aren't true, and I can really affect a change, and I feel freed and that moment of them being still physically in jail and being free you know it just it makes the bologna sandwiches much more tasty the Isn't dogs that interesting get bologna sandwiches the every day that nothing is different and i'm healed yes nothing in the physical is right. different i'm still in jail yeah. and i'm I, and i'm not crazy about it mm-hmm. i mean it's it's like i have a sense of peace um Nothing has changed. I'm still in bankruptcy, but I have peace. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed. I'm still in the middle of a messy divorce, but I'm navigating it mm-hmm. from this sense of peace instead mm-hmm. of this sense of uh, of angst or mm-hmm. pain or victimhood. Or resistance. Or resistance, yes. So that is what opens the door to the magic. What is uh, Michael that goes to CSL Dallas did a talk a few months ago. I don't know Michael's last name. Michael Brundy. Michael Brundy, indeed, indeed. He had a theme that said, you know, when I change the way I look at things, the things I see change. And um, that's a famous Al-Anon or 12-step kind of theory that when I change inside, everything outside of me changes, um, even though it might not literally. And so it's a really, it's a it's a phenomenon, but it, it, it is so true. It, um, you know, the whole idea of why certain people can live through horrific external situations and have this sort of freedom of the mind and sort of, um, excitement and anticipation of good, even when their external circumstances really um, sort of deprivation, but yet their spirit is filled with this sense of hope and joy. It's it really does. It is as simple as life is my perception of it, and it is as hard as life is my perception of it. You know, it is my perception that gives me my life. Really, it's not my financial situation or, you know, anything external, it is it is how I perceive what's happening. Yes, perception is everything, isn't it? Mm. Oh. But sometimes it just feels so good to blame other people <laughs> for what they've done or what they said or what they've held back or what, yeah. Yes, victim is fun. Yeah, color. I have a very colorful victim. Yes, yes, victim. And it, and it's fascinating to get into the magic. You know, then then when magical things start happening or miracles start occurring, you know, what is my response? Is my response of oh, that was, you know, one off or that was a strange thing or that was an. And it's funny. Um, we've got a couple of women in the jail right now that are kind of like I, I call that a spiritual hunt. They really didn't uh, have much of a spirituality or no spirituality, but they wanted it. They were interested in it, and they were really, um, you know, desiring of it, but their life circumstance had created something that, you know, how could a God 
exist and have had all these tragedies happen. And so um, I suggested that they just go on a spiritual hunt and start asking for random things or start noticing serendipitous things and start trying to connect the dots of something. And they just had an extraordinary time of it and had really extraordinary things happen. And I'm fascinated because I'm telling everybody I know kind of these stories about it. And people that are sort of spiritually aligned and really into the miracle and magic of life and understanding the jet stream theory are like, you know, excited about it. Oh, man, it's so cool. And other people that are sort of closed down to that idea in their own life are like, well, that's weird, or that was, you know, good for them, or lucky for them, or, you know, that's one-off. You know, that they can't even allow the energy of the possibility to really take root because they're so entrenched in this idea that, you know, that's not really real, that's not really possible, things like that don't really happen. And so it's so fascinating how we respond to this idea of, you know, I can live in the jet stream. I can have it all, the icing and the cake. Because if I really don't believe that, then I'm going to really have to, you know, come up with reasons why you're eating the icing and the cake is just random and strange and off and, you know, won't last. And Yeah. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Mystical magic. Mystical magical magic. And the, you know, the concept of, you know, as a man thinketh so he is, that whole, um, it, you know, it, it's so simple it's hard. It's another 12-step saying. Um, the magic comes in the shifting of thinking, which really is always within our control, always within my ability to manage is my thoughts. Yet how often do I give my thoughts over to this sort of really uh, frightening kind of world that I think I live in. So we only have a few minutes left, but this question begs to be asked. Begs to be asked? Well, yeah, and you, you just said something that reminded me of it. And if we believe in God, is there really any magic? Is there really anything called a miracle? I mean, if we really believe. Right. Then shouldn't we, like, um, you know, I took a class a few years ago about, you know, unexpected good, right? Creating or attracting unexpected income. And or, and one of the, one of my prayer partners in the class said, you know, I'm really having a hard time praying for unexpected income because if I'm praying for greater income, then I'm expecting it. If I'm praying for it and I believe that God answers prayer, then it's not unexpected because I know because I, of my belief and because of faith, that it is going to happen. So so what we think of as it's a miracle or it's mm. magic. Right, right. If I'm putting forth, you know, setting intentions, saying affirmations, mm-hmm. then when it happens, when my prayer is answered, mm-hmm. why, like, is there really a miracle? Why do I go, Oh, why am I in awe mm-hmm. when I say I have belief 
in this universal power. I like that, and that's you know, in the connected dots talking about this idea that I think that yes, we're the, the natural divine design of life is the state of miracle or state of magic, and that that you know when I can get my thinking out of that that's the extraordinary and understand that that really is the ordinary, then you know I'm living in that jet stream, and you're, you're right, it, there is no um, there shouldn't be any shock and awe. But there always is. Always is, yes. And I'm always like, oh, wow, that's so cool. It worked. Oh, well, yeah, I expected it to, and there it is. Like, it's happening, you know. I get this great opportunity, or I get this invitation to do something that, yeah, I want to do it, I didn't, but I haven't been doing anything to make it happen mm-hmm. except having belief. But I haven't even been thinking about whether I believe it or not lately. And then I get the email or the phone call saying, would you like to do this? Yes. And you get so excited that it's some sort of, yeah, it's some sort of really extraordinary thing. It's like, no, if you think back a year ago, this is something you said with clarity and conviction that you wanted to experience within the next 18 to 24 months. Well, it's been 11 months. Like, okay, are you going to turn it down? No. It's here now. And, you know, by the opposite of that, um, you know, looking at the other side of Mm -hmm. how things happened to me, you know, I can see clearly then how I tracked it, you know, how I created it, how it, how it has become. So it's, it's not unexpected either, you know, at the end of the day, and that's one of the things in the first class that I do with the women I talk about. Can you look back over the course of the last year and be really, really honest with yourself? What have, what have you been telling yourself? What have you, what has your thoughts been? What has your beliefs been? What's the language that you've been in your head before you went to sleep? Is it, if you look at that just obje- objectively, is it any surprise that you're sitting in jail? Was there any way that you, you know, wouldn't have had something like this be happening? And it's really kind of, you know, it's uh, it's good and hard to watch them come up with that understanding. Wow, not really, not really. No surprise. So it's interesting, and and I love the idea that it's really not magic or miracle. It's a divine design, and I do believe that it's a divine design. And I'm the one that gets in my own way. But it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't. So um, that's about all the time we have to ponder about magic today. Um, if this is your first time listening to Say Yes to Spirit, I encourage you to go to blogtalkradio.com and look at the archives and uh, just find a topic that seems interesting to you and check us out. Until we meet again, we encourage you to say Say yes yes to to spirit. spirit.
Bumblebee is the best-reviewed movie of Christmas with an incredible 93% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Light it up! The perfect blend of action, heart, and humor. Not just a great Transformers movie, a great movie, period. Bumblebee, now playing. Ready PG-13.